The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Ewell, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our update on tech stocks. We've got a ton to talk about with tech earnings about to get underway and the NASDAQ once again under pressure. I'm joined by my colleague, Eric Savitz, Barron's associate editor who covers tech for us from his perch in Silicon Valley. Welcome, Eric. Hey, Alex. It's great to have you. Um, so let's get going quickly around earnings because um, you know earnings started kind of today for the big banks. The tech stuff really gets going next week and then the week after that. IBM reports this Monday, Netflix reports on Tuesday, all the big, bigger, biggest guys then report the following week. Um, these reports feel, we kind of always say this, I guess, but this quarter feels particularly important um, given where we're at. You wrote a column over the weekend in Barron's um, kind of about the coming earnings season and you know you were really downbeat. And I, I've read and, and generally edited your columns over the last few years. And I, I think this might be the most negative you've ever sounded. Um, so give us a sense, you know, why are you so worried right now? Sure, so uh, look, first of all, Yes, it's certainly true that tech has had a terrible run here, right? The last six months have been awful, uh, really more than six months, going back to the, the market peak in, uh, in last November. Yeah. And you have a lot of stocks that are down 30%, 40%, 50%, in some cases, 75%. It's been a horrible period. And so there is a little bit of temptation to think, aha, maybe that's enough. Maybe we're going to we've hit a point uh, where we can start to bottom fish. And I don't think that that's true. And I think the issue is going to be, which we're going to see vividly um, in the next few weeks, is that uh, the macroeconomic environment has deteriorated uh, so much over the next uh, over the last few weeks that uh, that earnings estimates are going to be uh, slashed across the board. And we've started to see this. You've started to see analysts reducing estimates for semiconductors and hardware stocks and enterprise software companies and you know, online travel players and like all sorts of other things. And yeah. the bottom line is that nobody is safe in a recession. And, and, and that's that's the that's the bottom line problem. Here. And and just, you know, so stocks have been falling. Is it true then that well, even as these stocks and the Nasdaq has come down 25%, 30% over the last year, um, analysts hadn't really been cutting estimates until sort of right now? Yeah, because a, a lot of what's happened over the last six months is really not about recession. Like a lot of what, you know, some of it has been about higher interest rates. That's certainly true. Right, um, right. A lot of it has just been uh, sort of a reset on valuations. Right. I mean, you know, if you go back to last November, you had uh, stock, many stocks, many tech stocks were trading at like record high valuations. Right. Really right. true for, you know, high growth software. And so some of the air came out for that reason. I think what what we're now reckoning with is the fact that this, you know, as I say, like toxic brew of like higher interest rates and inflation and uh, threat of recession and, you know, continued um, uh, manufacturing issues from lockdowns in China and 
you know, the, the, the worries in, of a recession in Europe tied to the war in Ukraine. And like, there's just like a long list of problems that yeah. overlap. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and, and I think that the, the highest, uh, you know, that when you wrap them all together, what it, what, it, what it translates to is businesses are going to be more cautious. Like you've seen even companies like uh, Google is slowing its hiring. Uh, Meta is slow, slowing its hiring. Like Netflix has cut uh, heads. We've seen startups start to cut uh, cut heads. There's a, this company called GoPuff, which is like a food delivery company, cut more than a thousand jobs this week. So yeah. you, you've got uh, like a whole series of indications that businesses are going to be more cautious. We certainly see it on the consumer side already. Right. Um, all across the landscape, it just screams slow down, and that's going to be bad for everybody. Right. Okay. And so if you're, if you're an investor and I just want to like summarize this. So what you've seen over say six months, eight months, mo most of the losses um, that we've seen for tech stocks then have been all about that multiple compression stocks going from trading at say 25 times to 18 times. The fear now is that the E in the PE, the earnings is what gets reduced. And then that's like kind of the next leg down for stocks, right? Right. So we, we're having, right. That's right. That's a good way of looking at it. We've compressed valuations without changing uh, the denominator. And, right. and now, now we're going to change that. And, you know, how much remains to be seen, but like, there's some, there's some real uh, warnings out there if you look for them, right? Uh, yeah. So a few weeks ago, uh, Micron Technology, the, the memory chip company reported the earnings. Now they're on a slightly different calendar year. So they, they reported earnings for the May quarter and they gave guidance for the August quarter mm -hmm. and their August quarter revenue guidance uh, was for revenue roughly in the seven billion dollar range. The street had been looking for like nine billion dollars, like yeah. like a two billion dollar miss. Not good. That scale is alarming, and yeah. um, and they gave some reasons for that, right? Uh, PC demand is slowing down, and of course, they PCs are a big user of memory chips. Me uh, smartphone sales are slowing down, and they're a big user of memory chips. And there's also concern, although they tried to play them down a little bit. That you're going to see slower demand uh, from cloud uh, hardware vendors, and that's a little worrisome. And then, if you want one more example, I'll give you, Alex. There was a, a an interview on CNBC this week with ServiceNow's CEO, this guy named Bill McDermott. Bill McDermott is one of the most optimistic, like enthusiastic CEOs you'll ever see. Okay. And even Bill uh, said that they were seeing pretty stiff headwinds, um, uh, crosswinds, I think is the word he used from uh, macro issues. And he said that their sales cycle in Europe was elongating. And the street sort of interpreted that as like a, like, you know, kind of a, a sneaky, like a reduction in, in the outlook and the stock fell like 10 or 15%. Right. And it's just a, it's just a rough, you know, it's a, it's rough seas. Yeah. Okay. Let me throw maybe slight bit of optimism in there. I wonder, is it possible then, so we have all this negativity going in, perhaps more negativity than we've had, and we know sometimes what happens when you have a lot of negativity, it, it, it allows for the positivity to surprise. I wonder that that multiple compression that we talked about that happened over eight months, sure, it is about higher rates, but to what degree do we also think it was the market anticipating the earnings slowdown to the point that if the earnings slowdown now comes does that represent the bottom? And like, we could get a relief rally off of this earnings season, even with bad news. Yeah. I mean, like I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago that there's this notion of like a clearing event, right? Like that you, 
you, you know, that you should, uh, uh, th th there could be a moment where the street effectively, you know, kitchen sinks the earnings um, and right. puts every bad possible issue into the guidance and, um, and resets the floor for a way that sets up a better performance over time. The, yeah. the only problem I have with that theory is that some of the impact of the economic um, issues that we're seeing is really just starting. I mean, the Fed is not done raising rates. Like we're going to see higher interest rates from here. You know, you, 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 you are, we are, I mean, we're all worried about recession. No one has declared a recession. Yeah. I think there are some risk that things are actually going to take longer to turn around and uh, that it could stretch on. But I, there yeah. is a possibility. I would yeah. say that that's true. And I would, I would also note that in some cases, um, uh, you know, even the people who are cutting estimates and, you know, and, and the animals have been cutting them in like wholesale, uh, you know, like entire sectors at the same time, yeah. Like, yeah. like, like um, there is some, some of them will point out that valuations for certain parts of the landscape, it's, it's true for a lot of internet stocks, for example, have gotten to levels that are, you know, historically makes them look historically cheap, but like what's the catalyst is the problem. Like yeah. it's not, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be outperformance. And, and so you, you, you probably have to wait a little while. I mean, that's not to say as a long-term investor that you might not, uh, you know, you might, might be willing maybe to dabble. A a little, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have noticed it feels like, you know, just from a macro level um, on a, on at the end, you know, at the end of trading days now, it feels like the NASDAQ is not, is no longer the index leading us slower. And in fact, like yesterday with this terrible inflation uh, news, NASDAQ actually outperformed. It was still down, but it wasn't down right. as much as the S&P 500 and the Dow today too. They're all down. NASDAQ's down a little less than the S&P. So I don't know. It, 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 it seems like there's maybe a shifting dynamic, but, but who knows? Yeah. And you do see this on up days where, uh, you know, you get these like classic bear market rallies, short, short, sharp, turns in the market and what tends to lead the market on those days are all the stocks that have gotten beat up the worst over the right. last three months right and there's um, a lot to, there's, a, there's a lot to choose from so there's a lot to choose from. um okay so let's go a little bit more kind of micro um so net ibm and netflix report um next early next week i wanted to talk a little bit about netflix just because you know it's kind of it's kind of the first of the most notable tech names to report they always are Anything we're going to learn from Netflix, do you think, on Tuesday that could tell us about how this earnings season is going to go? Yeah, well, there's a few elements to this, right? Um, so, you know, of course, last quarter, Netflix kind of shocked everyone by reporting much worse uh, subscriber data than uh, than any, anybody had expected. Yeah. Netflix tends to be driven by trends in subscriber numbers more than like revenue or earnings uh, numbers. Yeah. And last quarter they lost 200,000 subscribers. Now there was some, there was some fuzz in that number because some of that is because they, they stopped uh, distributing uh, the service in Russia and, and like would have actually grown if not for that. But like they are predicting 2 million subscriber losses in the current quarter. And that's, there's a bunch of things going on there. They, the, the, comp, the competitive landscape has gotten tougher. I think they underestimated the boost that they got from uh, from the pandemic when everyone was sort of shut in and doing nothing except watching TV. And um, and then, um, you know, also they 
they seem to have acknowledged that they have a problem with people password sharing. So, so they've got a proposed solution, right? Their solution is they're going to offer an advertising-driven subscription tier. Now, they one thing about Netflix that was so shocking last quarter is Reed Hastings just casually announced this on the analyst call. Like they didn't put it in the press release. They just kind of yeah. casually mentioned on the call, hey, yeah. we're thinking about doing an advertising tier, which was the biggest thing they announced that day probably, and that they're doing a, they're going to do a crackdown on passwords. What might they say this time? Well, people will want to be listening for any update on the advertising strategy question. Yeah. Um, they had, there, there have been reports that they, you know, they were going to try and do something as soon as the end of the year. Uh, just yesterday, they announced a deal to um, uh, with a surprising announcement that they're doing a deal with Microsoft to be their like technology partner on advertising sales. That's not what people thought. People thought it might be Google or maybe uh, Comcast's NBC Universal unit or uh, you know or somebody else, but it turns out to be Microsoft. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll get some more information on that, but I think the key is going to be what do they talk about on. Uh, subscribers, um, even if the number is in line with the 2 million forecast, the real focus is going to be what do they say about the September quarter? Right. Um, we don't know, by the way, on the advertising front, we have no details yet. So if the typical subscription now is what, up to fourteen ninety nine, we don't know what an ad supported subscription is going to cost, right? Right. So a whole bunch of analysts have done some work on this. And they're, the, the thinking, uh, general thinking is that they can cut the number uh, cut, cuts uh, offer a subscription tier where you reduce the price, but more than make up for the lost subscription revenue with ad dollars. Now that depends on a lot of assumptions you make on like what kind of ad load do you have and like what yeah. kind of CPM can you get for the advertising that kind of thing. Uh, but there does seem to be ge the general view on the street is that this will be a good thing for the company financially that they'll generate you know substantial additional revenue now. Uh, the interesting question is, you know, they have to be able to make up for whatever dollars they give up on the subscription front. And it's not like they're going to offer a free tier. They're not going to, this is not right. going to be, right. uh, you know, like a free advertising driven service. They would charge less. That's kind of like the strategy that say Hulu uses, for example, where you have your choice. You can, uh, you can watch with no ads uh, or you can watch with some ads. It's, you know, it's going to be, it's, to me, it'll be fascinating because just behaviorally in the sense that we all pretty much got hooked on Netflix. I mean, sure, they have great shows now or they've had great shows, but even before they did originals, what, what got us hooked on Netflix was the lack of advertising. And I just, I think it will be so fascinating to see whether their content is good enough and sticky enough, even at a reduced rate for people to, to pay for. I, I think it will be... Um, It'll, it'll tell us a lot about kind of the future of consumption, I think. Yeah. There was an interesting story, by the way, in, in this uh, in the Wall Street Journal uh, this week about Netflix going back to some of the content producers uh, to get basically permission to sell advertising against their oh, content. Wow. Uh, this is an interesting uh, issue because I don't think it's one that the street has fully taken into consideration, which is that the people who are producing the content uh, might want a slice of the ad revenue. For sure. It sort of changes the equation a little yeah. bit. You, and then one other thing that, that's occurred to me, by the way, is I, I imagine people have noticed when you watch an old show that was written from broadcast TV on Netflix, it's always very clear where the ads used to be. <laughs> yes. With a Netflix show, 
as we've all seen, and, and, and many other streaming shows, like these are just straight through shows. There is no break for an advertisement. And I, I, I imagine that is going to determine Netflix's strategy in terms of how you mentioned ad load, in terms of how they insert ads, because it's going to be awkward to break into a show that wasn't designed for ads, if, if that makes sense. Um, right. And, and, you know, if you think that there are models for this, right? Like if you think about uh, advertising on YouTube, um, early advertising on YouTube was mostly um, pre roll, right? right. So, right. So advertising before you actually get to the show. Yeah, yeah that's um, right. That, that, that's that's still a model that you see a lot on on the internet. If you watch like uh, like if you're like me and you watch uh, clips of baseball games sometimes on ESPN uh, before you get to your clip, there's often an ad that yeah. you have to endure yeah, no, first. Right. That's right. So that there's that possibility, and then there might be other clever things that they could do sponsorships. Yeah. Uh, there are all sorts of opportunities. I mean, you're right, though. Like, if you watch, uh, you know, the average episode of, you know, Stranger Things, it's not structured to have those kinds of breaks in the story. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, let's go on, because I think we could we could keep talking about um, Netflix. I want to just, and we'll get to a few questions soon. Let's go to Apple, because um, you had a really interesting story yesterday based on an analyst report Um an analyst at uh, Lynx Equities, I think it was, who cut his target to a street, Wall Street low of $125 for Apple, which would imply about 15% of downside. This gets to some of what you talked about at the top of the show. But basically what he's saying is that analysts have remained too sticky and optimistic with their forecast for Apple and that things could get worse from here. Apple is certainly a core holding for probably so many investors and a lot of our listeners. What do you... Um, Tell us a little bit more about that call and, and how important this, this earnings report will be for Apple. Sure. So uh, there's a few elements to this, right? So uh, for one thing, it is true. Apple's down about, let's say, 20% year to date. But that's actually, that's a lot less than almost all the other uh, large cap uh, tech names. So it's actually held up better yeah. uh, and certainly than Microsoft or Amazon, way better than Meta. Um, so, uh, so, so, you know, you have to kind of, that's sort of the background. And then as you look at the factors that are going to impact their earnings, um, you know, look at the bottom line, Apple is primarily a consumer uh, facing business, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They sell some computers to, uh, you know, for business. I'm sitting here with a MacBook in front of me. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but like this is primarily consumer business and the consumer is hurting. Um, if you look at recent reports on PC sales uh, from uh, say Gartner or IDC with, you know, the two uh, market research firms that track this stuff, um, they're both saying that uh, PC sales in the June quarter were down double digits, uh, you know, the worst in close to a decade. Um, so there's real softness there. And uh, now you can debate whether, and we'll see, I guess, uh, how much that affects Mac sales. The dynamic around the Mac is a little bit different because, uh, you know, the Mac has had gone through a major product revision with like the new sort of homegrown processors replacing Intel processors. But it's not completely... It, it's not immune to what what the industry is going through, which is we're seeing a slowdown on, in consumer purchases because yeah. everyone bought laptops during the pandemic. And now, you know, they have relatively new laptops they don't need to replace and people are tightening their belts. And these are expensive purchases. And now and then meanwhile, on the on the smartphone side, uh, there are also expectations there that we're going to see you know, a substantial down year somewhere in the five to 10 percent down range in terms of smartphone, uh, global smartphone unit sales this year. That's also likely to affect Apple. 
um, you know, we have a, a new iPhone cycles coming. There's always another one coming. Uh, iPhone 14 is coming in the fall. Yeah. There's been remarkably little buzz about iPhone 14, I would note. Like there's, I don't think this is viewed as likely to be revolutionary uh, no. generation iPhone. Yeah. And, 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 you know, iPhones now too are expensive purchases. Um, are, are people going to want to buy, shell out $1,000 for a new phone? Yeah, I, 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 I think um, we were talking about this the other day. I mean, your point that Apple is sort of consumer exposed. I mean, I think you were saying that of all of the big tech companies, when you really think about it, Apple is the most consumer exposed, really almost a pure play on the consumer. And so it does really kind of make you question or wonder, given that if, if this is a recessionary environment, if there's a worry about the consumer, why has it been the one to hold up better? Um, I guess yeah, just, I think there's a few yeah. reasons though for that, Alex. Like I, I think one reason is uh, Apple has this sort of uh, this golden uh, brand, this sort of aura around the brand that they they can uh, rarely do any wrong, and there's sort of this sense that they will figure this out because they're Apple, and like it just has a lot of admirers, and um, and you know the stock has been very rewarding. In recent years, and so there's a lot of it has a lot of loyalty. There's a lot of loyalty to to, the, to Apple as a stock, um, w- which I think is less true for you know some of the other large names. Yeah, uh, and we certainly have seen this with like with Meta and and to and with Amazon, uh, where they've both been hit pretty hard this year. I mean, it, it it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I would note a, what just a couple of other quick things on Apple. One is if you go back to their their last earnings call, uh, the CFO warned. That like they were going to see more, uh, more of a problem from component uh, shortages from uh, supply chain issues in the June quarter than they had in the March quarter. They're they're also going to see really significant headwinds from foreign exchange rates, probably worse than they had projected in uh, three months ago. Um, so there's like there's a bunch of other factors that figure in to this number for Apple. And and by the way, let's also remember. Apple hasn't provided any financial guidance since the start of the pandemic. They've stopped doing it, right? Um, they used to provide more detailed financial guidance. Now they provide just sort of color. Really interesting outlook. Yeah. Um, I, I, I worry a little that like their color on the outlook is going to suggest uh, caution and yeah. uh, the street may be worried about that. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Right. Well, and we actually had gotten a lot of several questions. Uh, Daniel and Hal both both asked about um, Apple, so thanks for those questions. I think we've addressed them. Um, but uh, so let's uh, let's let's go on. Um, I wanted to talk for a minute about one of your favorite topics, which is Amazon Prime Day, because we talk about this every year. Prime Day just finished, uh, or Amazon just finished its two-day Prime sale. Um, they put out their annual press release, uh, I think, this morning, kind of touting its success. It all, they always say a lot while saying absolutely nothing. Um, so tell us uh, how did yeah, Prime Day go? This is something we've been talking about for years now, Alex, you and I. And uh, they they do they do that every day, like the day after Prime Day ends. They put out a, a press release. I noticed that this one is le- less long than some of their. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, sometimes they're like thousands of words long. Yeah, this is a little more tightly written than the typical Amazon Prime Day press release. And you know, it says it always says that this was the best Prime Day ever. Uh, the one uh, one thing it said that this time was that they sold uh, 300 million items, more than 300 million items. And okay. that last year they sold, uh, if you leave last year's press release, which I did this morning, it said over 250 million items. Okay. So they sold more things. But of course, 
just selling more things doesn't tell you very much about how successful Prime Day was. I mean, I, I you know this is a this is a difficult moment um, in, in for Amazon that the online e-commerce the e-commerce space has, has softened in recent uh, quarters. Like the expectation with it is that when they report earnings uh, for the June quarter, that um, you know online sales will actually be down on a year-over-year basis from last year, which was a tougher comparison. Uh, so, I mean, look, Amazon is Amazon stock is down one percent today. There's nothing about this announcement from them that is particularly informative, actually. Or you know, like they don't. What they don't do is they don't tell you here's how much we sold on this two day, you know, two day period right. versus. And last even time. when they do, by the way, Amazon is sort of famous for telling you it's their best ever. But have you? They, ne- they never going back years set the baseline for what the initial best was. So you can never like. There's never an easy way to make particular. Right. It's like if I say uh, we sold more stuff than we did last year, the obvious question is, well, what did you sell last year? And we never know. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. don't know. More yeah. than the year before that. And <laughs> if there's there's almost an art form, and I suspect we'll start to see this in some of the analyst notes on Prime Day in, in the coming uh, day or two, where they parse the language yeah. of, uh, uh, of these press releases like it's a Supreme Court decision, you know, and, and like the, that someone is going to do the thing where they say, oh, like the word count is down 50% or something. So like well, the, the, that's, that's just, it's just silly. I will note one thing that they did emphasize was that they had really strong sales of their own products. Um, you know, that they sold a lot of Amazon. Uh, yeah. Now, is it the first... Um... Is this the first Prime Day under their new CEO, Andy, uh, Andy Jassy, or had yes, you started? The first so, one. So okay, yeah. so maybe maybe the slightly shorter press release comes is, is his doing. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Um, maybe he got tired of reading their very long press releases. We'll <laughs> yeah. see what All right, um, let's. Uh, I, I feel like we can't have this call today without talking a little bit about Twitter. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> You've been covering it some, uh, kind of, we've all been covering it mm-hmm. some. Where where do things stand? Twitter actually rallied yesterday, um, perhaps on hope that that Musk, Elon Musk and Twitter will come to some sort of settlement and he'll still buy it. Or maybe it's on hope that he'll just pay a lot of money to get out of this. I don't know. Where, where do you see this thing uh, winding up? Yeah, I, I think it's going to take a long time to resolve. I, I think... Uh, you know, there, there's a there's a few potential outcomes here, right? Um, uh, the, the stock is priced. Uh, it's interesting. The average analyst, if you, if you read the analyst notes on on Twitter, most of them seem to think that on a fundamental basis, the stock's probably worth like in the mid twenties, and the stock is currently in the mid thirties. So, yeah. it's still the stock still embeds some potential uh, that that a deal can be reached, right? So the stock's at 36 and change as we talk, you know, yeah. of course, bid, uh, Elon had bid 5420. That's still quite a substantial discount. Uh, but so there is some hope that either they reach some sort of uh, alternative uh, agreement, like maybe Elon buys it for, I don't know, pick your number, 40, 45. I don't really know. Um, right. uh, it's hard to tell um, that that's, that's one possibility. There, there are a lot of analysis that suggests that Twitter has the open uh, has the upper hand uh, from a legal point of view. Now, well, they signed the contract. They signed the contract. It, it, it revolves around this question of whether there was any material uh, a material change in Twitter's condition right. uh, that would you know change the value of what, um, what Elon right. is buying. Yeah. And then the really interesting question to me is, even if the court, uh, the, you know, the Delaware Chancery Court, which will overhear this uh, proceeding. 
even if the court finds that Elon needs to follow through, like and 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 he tries to enforce the agreement. Yeah. What a strange situation. Then you have like a a large, uh, you know, highly public uh, company owned by someone who doesn't want to buy it. And then I, how do you get him to do it? How do you totally, forty four billion dollar check? I totally. I, I totally agree. And I, I, and I know the court has to do, you know, has to go by the law, but you have to imagine that the court is saying to themselves now, kind of in anticipation of, of the, the hearings, like, we can't find in favor of Twitter here, even if the law is on their side, because what if we issue a ruling and, and Elon Musk just igno- ignores it, and our authority just kind of disappears? Like, that is a real, I would think that's a real concern right now. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've seen some speculation. Um Somebody on CNBC, I think it was David Faber, speculating that well, maybe like Elon will have to go to jail to make this thing happen. Wow. I mean, like, like there's people are sort of like I think facing a situation that really doesn't look like anything else we've seen. There have been some examples that people throw around about uh, deals where the the Delaware court forces a specific performance, forces companies to follow through on deals. Um, yeah, you, you would hope that they. Um, they can either reach some sort of agreement or agree to disagree. And like at some point, you wonder if if Elon was to pay the breakup fee. Now, a, a billion dollars is you know it's a little over a dollar a share for Twitter. It's not very much. No. Uh, maybe that's not enough. Maybe maybe Twitter has to you know get get Elon to you know to pony up some additional money to let him uh, to buy his way out of this. And um, I, I would note by the way that. On the one hand, this is like a, a litigation nightmare for both sides. It's very expensive. You have high-powered lawyers on both sides. It's likely to drag on for God knows how long. I'm sure there's going to be an appeals process no matter what the court would decide. Um, it's just bad for both sides. And, I've, and there are other problems for Twitter. Like, how do, you, how do you feel about this if you're a Twitter employee? Like, you don't really know who's going to be paying you. You have, you have equity in the company that you don't know what it's really worth. Yeah, you have doubts about like the future of the company. There's a lot of jobs out there in tech. Like I don't know. I think they have a problem on on employee retention here. I and and you know the other element of this is right like for the shareholders. If you're just taking it from a shareholder value perspective, sure. Like you want to try and close the deal at fifty four twenty because nobody else is going to pay that. So um, that would be the best outcome from shareholders. Is that the best outcome for Twitter as an institution? Probably not. Um, all right, I want to get one uh, other question in here. It's it's a, not a company we've talked about today. John asks um, about Salesforce. He's curious about Salesforce's prospects. Um, so that's a cloud name, kind of one of the original cloud names, very, very exposed to enterprise spending trends, I would think. Um, and they'll report probably much later in the earnings season, right? Do you have any? Yeah, so they're, uh, they have a Jan- I believe Salesforce is a January year end, so it's a little further out. Um, yeah, you know, the stock has uh, been hit pretty hard here. It's down, I don't know, it's lost about almost, it's down almost 50% from its 52-week high. Yeah, I mean, wow. Salesforce um, has a very broad customer base, right? They've they've had, to give them credit, they've built um, kind of a, a, a business that is a cornerstone for uh, for many, many of their customers, you know, driving their sales product uh, processes. And then they've, you know, added a bunch of other things like uh, Slack, which you and I use every day. Um, yeah. So, so they, 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 they've got a broad set of tools, but they have a very broad set of customers. And 
I just think that there's a certain amount of risk that uh, they just can't avoid the recession. This comes back to the uh, my point earlier that when you have that kind of broad customer base, including many small companies where you know that could be vulnerable in a sharp uh, uh, downturn in the economy, um, they're just uh, uh, they're just not you know no one is invulnerable here, and you know and and they're still you know it's still a it's not it's not that cheap a stock. I mean, well, the, I, I was actually the, I was looking at that, Eric. So it isn't cheap, certainly relatively. I mean, I'm looking at they trade at 28 times kind of next year's earnings, right. which this is a stock, though. And this just kind of tells you where we're at these days. I mean, Salesforce was one of those names kind of early in the cloud transition. that would trade at what, like 80, 90, 100. I mean, it, it traded at like it's a crazy multiples. And so it sort of tells you where we're at now that. Now this thing is at 28 times. Um, not outrageous anymore, but I, I guess you just, it, it's all relative. Yeah, well, here is one of my, it, there, here's an interesting factoid on that score is that on a, like on a multiple sales basis, it's cheaper than Microsoft. Wow. So like you, you and it's growing a little faster. Um, so like, you know, there is an argument that, well, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, uh, getting close to the bottom of the valuation curve. Now, there is one wild card here, uh, which is that, um, uh, like, Mark Benioff is an acquisitive guy. Like, like Salesforce likes to do big deals. And, you know, the, the I mean, um, Slack was the most recent one, but there have been others. And um, and on the street, there's always a little bit of concern, actually, that Mark is going to overreach and and you know, and, and he's going to be tempted, which would be understandable in the current environment uh, to go fishing for his next acquisition. And then yeah, that, maybe, that maybe, well maybe you just identified the, the, the real Twitter acquirer. Um, they, you know, they bought Slack. Maybe they're interested. Ooh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that would be that would be an expensive deal. And I'm pretty sure the street wouldn't like it very much. Yeah, no, I'm sure that would. All right. But, well, Thank you, Eric. We're, we're actually, we're right out of time. We could go on. We had a bunch more questions to get to, but we'll do it again sometime soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and uh, yeah, we hope you'll listen to our next episode tomorrow. Our colleagues from Investors Business Daily are going to be talking about how to uncover um, potential market leaders in the biotech industry um, and how to find entry points uh, in biotech ETFs. So thanks for listening. Stay healthy and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.